Welcome to Funny Because It's True, true stories told by funny people. I'm your host, Kevin McGeehan. Funny Because It's True is recorded live every other Tuesday at the Second City Hollywood in Los Angeles, California. Storytellers are either predetermined or chosen randomly on the night of the show. And this podcast is a mixed bag of some of my favorites. This episode of Funny Because It's True is brought to you by the letter H. Stories of head wounds, hot dogs, and high-speed pursuits. Martin Garcia cracks his cranium and tries to keep it a secret. Pepper Berry finds himself in a very law-abiding car chase. And I learn how the words, call me a hot dog, can suck the air out of a room. But let's not dawdle. First up, Martin Garcia. When uh, I was a kid, I liked eating a lot. Uh, I was rather fat. And uh, the thing that I, one of the things I loved eating the most was uh, sugar cereals. <laughs> uh, I loved Frosted Flakes and uh, Lucky Charms and uh, Sugar Smacks and uh, Sugar Corn Pops. If Sugar Cat Turds, anything you put sugar, <laughs> if you put sugar in it, I would eat it. All right. So um, <clears throat> at, the, at this time, we were living in uh, uh, Fort Riley, Kansas. Uh, I'm an army brat, so we moved all over the place. And uh, <clears throat> it was real late at night. It was the summer. I was probably about eight eight years old, and uh, I was watching this old movie on this old black and white television in my room, and it was really hot, and everybody was asleep. My mom was asleep, and my brothers were there. My dad was uh, uh, in the field, which means they go and do military exercises, yeah, c- in case someone invades Kansas. And uh, <clears throat> so, uh, so I, w- I just got this desire to have some cereal, and uh, for some reason, I had in my head that I – that I didn't want anybody else in the house to know that I was going to get cereal because it was like after midnight. I guess you shouldn't eat sugar cereal after midnight or something. So the only person that was up was one of my brothers, and he was watching television in the living room. And so uh, to set it up, like this is the living room. The kitchen is behind the living room. Then there's a hallway, and my room's here, my mom's room's here, and the boys' rooms are here. So I have to make it from here down the hall into the kitchen so that my – brother doesn't see me because he's sitting in a chair right here so I don't want to get his eye line because you know it's very important it's like mission impossible and uh, <clears throat> so I, I sneak down the, the hallway and then I my brother's watching television and he, my brother was so into television he would rock he's not autistic he's not autistic but he would rock and so he was completely consumed and so uh, I, got, I made it into the kitchen and I was like so, uh, so I go and uh, the way I would get onto the ca- onto the to get to the cupboard is I would get um, there'd be a counter here and I'd turn my back and I'd lift myself up on the counter and then get the cereal right. Um, so <clears throat> I'm very excited and I I get to the counter and I I lift myself up and I get hit in the back of my head by an open cupboard. <laughs> And I hit it right on the point. It hurt. <laughs> it hurt a lot. Uh, but I was on a mission, and I didn't want to get caught. So I came, like, as soon as I hit, I came down off the counter, and I was like. But I wouldn't scream because I didn't want to get hurt. So Breathing, breathing. Somehow I knew to breathe. I don't know. Maybe I saw, saw something about pregnancy or something. And, uh, 
so I'm like, okay, okay, we gotta get, get back get to the room. Obviously, our hopes of getting cereal are not gonna work out tonight. So <laughs> we gotta get back without my brother seeing me. So um, I go from the kitchen, living room's here, and I just, I just walk out like, <laughs> nothing's wrong, nothing's happened. Uh, and I walk down the hallway, and I get down to, to my bedroom door, and I run into my bedroom door, and I jump on my bed, and I grab my head like this, and I'm just going, oh, 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 and I look at my hands, and my hands are blood red. They are full of blood. I mean, just like, oh, you can't even see skin. It's just blood. And I screamed so loud and long, and as I'm screaming, I'm running off the bed ah, in slow motion, and I run down the hallway, and now I want my brother to see me, and so I run up to him, and I'm like screaming, and I'm like, I'm hysterical, ah, ah, my head, my head, and he goes, what's wrong with your hands? I'm like, what the fuck? I'm saying my head. Why are you asking what's wrong with my hands? Because they were bloody. He thought I was bleeding the hands. So I'm like showing him, and I'm showing him, and he's going, what's wrong with your hands? What's wrong with your hands? And I'm saying my head, my head, but he can't understand me because I'm crying. And then what, what I didn't realize is that as I was running out of my room, my mother in the corner room, as soon as I started screaming, <laughs> my mother comes flying out of her room with her robe behind her. And, and she wasn't wearing a bra. And... Uh, <laughs> She had a nightie on, but no bra. It was very disturbing. Uh, so so she, she, she throws the robe on, and the, my other brother runs to the thing, and I woke up everybody in the house. And so they take me to the, they take me to the sink in the kitchen or the bathroom, and they, they, I don't know if you've ever had this done to you, but they put my head under the sink and just run water over my head ad nauseum. I'm sitting there in the sink just going, uh, and they're going, ooh, ooh, look at that. Ooh, 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 that's big. Ooh, and meanwhile, I'm drowning. <laughs> so we went to, so then we finally they decided that we need to go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital, and uh, uh, the doctor <laughs> says, well, he's going to need stitches. So um, I go, thank you. And so, and, and he rang a bell, too. It was weird. Um, so <clears throat> so he, uh, he gave me stitches, and after all that blood, one stitch. <laughs> Next up, Pepper Berry. So I grew up in uh, Arlington, Texas, and I lived on Woodside Drive. And my best friend, Jay Carlson, lived uh, a block down Woodside Drive across the street from Dunn Elementary, where we went to elementary school. Now, if you go two more miles down Woodside Drive, you will run into Young Junior High, which is where we went to junior high. If you go two more miles down Woodside Drive, you'll run into Martin High School, which is where we graduate from high school, your whole adolescence in one stretch of road. <laughs> so that is the street where we grew up on. So when I was 16, I had my first car, which was just an embarrassing piece of crap like all first cars are. And if at Martin High School, if you were 16, you had a car, it was an open campus, you could leave uh, campus and go to lunch somewhere else. So for that particular day, I don't, can't remember what it was, but my car was not there. It was in the shop or something. And so I ran into Jay in an earlier period, and I asked him if I could borrow his car to go to luncheon. And he said, sure, here's the keys. You know, take it. Don't let anybody see you driving it. And uh, take my car to lunch. So Jay Carlson came from a two-car family. His dad drove an 85 Mustang 
5.0 brown Mustang. Jay drove a 76 Monte Carlo beige, like a pimp car, except it was beige. So it wasn't really a pimp car. It was a huge, giant beast. Like when we sat behind the wheel, it was like the hood. It was like looking, driving the love boat. It was like a cruise ship, with one of those giant hoods. So that's what I took to lunch. Now, normally on any lunch day, I would go right out of the parking lot and go to Taco Bueno or McDonald's or any of the other fast food places that we all hung out at. But that day, I decided to go left and go back down Woodside to my house and just go to my house and have lunch. So this took me all the way down Woodside Drive past Jay Carlson's house and also past Mr. Carlson coming home also for lunch in the 85 Mustang when he looks over and sees his son's Monte Carlo being driven by someone not his son. Wheels start to squeal as Mr. Carlson Starsky and hutches a 180 in the middle of Woodside Drive. So this is what's going on in my head. So just freeze for a moment with the 16-year-old behind the wheel of a Monte Carlo. All the oxygen in the neighborhood has just been sucked into a vacuum because I can't breathe. And I'm looking in my rearview mirror at like the Michael Paul Glazer lookalike, also a medical sales supply guy, coming up behind me, flying in his little 85 Mustang. So just freeze that little picture in your head for a second. When you're 16 years old, you are, for all intent and purposes, an idiot. You just dumb stuff comes out of your mouth all the time. You're just a more From 13 to 18, I say you're just basically semi-retarded. So this is the brain <laughs> that is behind the 76 Monte Carlo right now. And this is the brain that's looking in this rearview mirror with nothing, just completely filled with an 85 Mustang coming up on my ass. So the only choice I have, the only choice any logical person has is to pull to the side, get out, and say like, hey, Mr. Carlson, it's me, Pepper, Jay's friend. I'm just taking this car. Let me borrow it and just going down the house about 50 yards and having lunch. And I'm going back to school. That's the only choice you have. But I'm 16, and the 16-year-old brain says, we can do this. <laughs> and I slam the gas to the floor, and, like, the hood raises up. And I know nothing about cars at all, but I think, like, a 76 Monte Carlo had, like, 14 cylinders. It was, like, a V14 engine, and it just said, like, fuck yeah. And it's just like, boom, we zoomed off down the thing, and Mr. Carlson lit off after me, and we took off on, a, like, a 40 to 50-mile-an-hour chase through the neighborhood. I was 16. I just passed my test, so I stopped at all the stop signs, <laughs> even the one by the park that had, like, two stop signs 10 feet apart. It was just like, Arch! And the Mustang was like, ah! he was stopping at the stop signs too. And we were turning. It was the dumbest high speed chase you've ever seen in your life. And I lit off around the parking, the park up around Edward Heinze's house. And I took a hairpin turn and I looked in. And he was right there streaking. I mean, just like, behind me in his little Mustang. And I banked the V14 Monte Carlo Limited Edition up Edward Street. And I headed for uh, Arkansas Lane, which was like this elevated street. And I Stopped at the stop sign, and then I banked it up that way, and I was heading to 7-Eleven because, like, when you're 16, 7-Eleven is just, like, home base. That's just where you go. It's, like, the only thing I knew. I just, like, if I could just make it to 7-Eleven, I'm free. 
And I get to 7-Eleven, and the place is packed. I can't take that turn, so I have to pull into the grocery store instead. And when I get into the grocery store parking lot, I can look ahead to the exit where I need to be, and it's blocked. And I'm screwed. And so all I can think of is to pull into a parking space like I'm going to go shopping. (laughs) And he pulls in behind me. So my 16-year-old brain says, we can do this. (laughs) So I jump out of the car. And I turn around, and he jumps out of the car, and he's standing there staring at me, and I go, Mr. Carlson, I had no idea that was you. You scared me to death. I thought somebody was chasing me. Bullshit. (laughs) And he looks at me for a second, and he says nothing. And he kind of smiles, and he goes, Pepper. I had no idea that was you. Bullshit. (laughs) He's like, I thought somebody had stolen Jay's car. Bullshit. No mention of this 50, 60 mile an hour high speed chase. I just took him on for like five minutes all through the neighborhood. Not mentioned at all. The next day, Jay tells me, he's like, you know, my dad said that uh, he didn't think much of you until he saw you pull over and realized that you had lost. (laughs) And he said, I have never had any more respect for anybody in my life than Pepper at that very moment. (laughs) And all I could think of is my 16-year-old brain had triumphed. Next up, me, Kevin McGeehan. If you were to tell me this story, I would not believe you, but it really happened. So here's the scene. So we work out at this very small gym called Bodybuilders on Hyperion. And it's a very uh, small, eclectic group that go there consistently. And there is uh, one guy. He looks just like Samuel L. Jackson. Exactly, to a T. He could be cast as him in anything. And Matt and I have nicknamed him Attention because that seems to be what he wants most in this world. He's one of those guys who grunts a little bit too hard. He throws his weights down when he's done. He tries to engage people in testosterone conversations. He's that guy. Also, uh, there is a white couple um, who go there, a man and a woman. He is um, very muscular in his chest, and she has a nice butt. I will call him Pex, and I will call her Glutes. There's also another guy, another uh, African-American man with uh, salt-and-pepper hair, a very distinguished man. Uh, the best way to describe him would be if Cliff Huxtable ever needed a brother on the Cosby show, this guy would have been cast in that role. I'm going to call him Uncle Huxtable. So all of us, the people I just mentioned, are all up on the second floor working out. It's very slow that day. And attention is getting down on the bench, and he wants to um, max out that day. So he asks Pex, hey, will you spot me? Pex agrees, walks over, gets in place, and then attention lifts the heavy weight. At this point, attention wants to go for the most weight he has ever done. Pex also agrees, so they load up the bar. As attention gets into place, this is when the story starts. Everything from this point on takes place in 60 seconds. 
attention starts to get a little nervous about the weight. So he says to Pex, oh, man, I don't know if I can do this. Pex, yeah, you can. You can totally do it. Attention. No, I don't think so. Uh, I need to get mad. I need to get mad. <laughs> now, there is a word that I will never use in my life. Ever. I find it deplorable. But unfortunately, for the purposes of this story, it is absolutely necessary. <laughs> so from this point on, I will interchange that word with the term hot dog. So attention says, I need to get mad. I, I can't do this. Call me a hot dog. <laughs> Pex, understandably shocked, says, no, man, I'm not going to call you that. Attention. Yeah, man, come on. I need to get mad. I hate that word. It gets me mad. It's going to get me going. Come on. Call me a hot dog. Now, keep in mind, there's other people working out in this area. And it all goes silent. Matt and I are in a perfect vantage point where I'm sitting on a rear delt machine, which means I'm sitting facing this way, and I can watch this whole thing. Matt is standing to my right looking in the mirror watching this whole thing. And we're stunned. Pex, I don't want to call you that. Attention starts to take a new tactic. Are you my friend? Are you my friend? Pex, yeah, I'm your friend. From what I gleaned, they had a hey, what's up relationship. <laughs> Are you my friend? Are you my friend? Pex, yeah, I'm your friend. Then you won't do this for me? Come on, call me a hot dog. Pex, no. Attention. Turns to glutes and says, she'll do it. She'll do it. You'll do it, won't you? You'll call me a hot dog. Glutes looks at Pex and gives him a, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that kind of look. Um, and is really freaking out. Pex turns to attention and says, no, nah, man, don't bring her into this. Attention, turning to Pex. Well, then call me a hot dog. Pex, no, I will not do it. And then attention tries another tactic. He pouts. Oh, come on. You won't do that. You're my friend. You won't help me out. It's going to help me get this weight up. So then Pex relents and says, fine, all right. He looks around and he says, okay, fine. You're a hot dog. <laughs> Attention, like a spoiled child not getting what he wants, explodes with, no, say it loud. Say it like you mean it. Call me a dirty, stinking, filthy hot dog. <laughs> At this point, the room is silent. And the tension is so thick, they're staring at each other. And then suddenly, sweeping in at the end of the episode to make everything right is Uncle Huxtable, who walks over and with resigned indignance says, come on, you stupid hot dog, just do it. <laughs> Attention gets on the bench, and he actually pulls it off. And everyone's happy. At the very end, uh, right as that all takes place, I start to lift my weight, and I turn to Matt, and I say, call me a butthole. Call me an insecure butthole. And we laughed and laughed. So that story is true. But if you were to come to me and tell me that story, I would, like Uncle Huxtable, I would say with resigned indignance, I don't believe you. Hot dog, please. 
That's it. That's our show. Thanks to our storytellers, Martin Garcia and Pepper Berry. Special thanks to Josh Callahan, Mark Warzeka, The Second City Hollywood, and the Comedy Podcast Network for producing the show. If you would ever like to see the live show, Funny Because It's True is every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. at The Second City Hollywood, located on beautiful and mildly scary Hollywood Boulevard. Go to Facebook.com and like Funny Because It's True's fan page. That's funny, C-U-Z, it's true, and you can find out show dates and upcoming themes. So come out, sign up, and maybe you'll get chosen to tell a true story on stage, and from there, get chosen to be on the podcast. My name is Kevin McGeehan. Thanks for listening. For more funny stuff for your eyes and ears, go to ComedyPodcastNetwork.com.